Hi, I'm Jim Patterson. 5G will most undoubtedly change the world. This is Sean Kinney, and welcome to Will 5G Change the World, the usually weekly podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry experts to answer that important question. But first, in an effort to get to know our guests a little bit better, we like to pose three questions from the Prowse questionnaire. Jim, you ready for those? I am. Question number one, what is your motto? I had a motto when I, I spent 15 years at Sprint, and uh, they folks who will listen to this podcast will know exactly the motto I'll be referencing. I had a motto that I developed during some time when we were going through a rapid amount of growth, and it's this, be kind, but relentlessly impatient. And question number two, Jim, which talent would you most like to have? I can't draw worth a crap. So I I could never draw, and uh, it almost kept me out of getting into kindergarten. And number three, what is your greatest fear? It's a great question. Uh, not being able to remember things. So I, I have this fear, still have it, of a total memory wipe. I wake up and I can't remember a darn thing. And uh, in one case, that might actually be bliss, but uh, that's the one thing I, I really fear. So, Jim, uh, earnings season wrapping up uh, today as we, we record, although T-Mobile pre-reported some of their numbers. But based on what you've seen so far, maybe you could uh, give us a, a little bit of a summary of some of the takeaways for the tier ones here in the U.S. Right. Sean, I think, I think the best way to think about this, I always try to keep it very simple. And I, I spent a lot of time listening to earnings conference calls, I reread the transcripts, ask a lot of questions to the investor relations groups. And I, and I, I want to, for, for, the, for the listeners on this blog, I want to kind of try to keep it as simple as I can. Verizon, and I'll start with Verizon because they announced first, Verizon's word, and you can, you can summarize their objective in one word for this year, and that is upgrade. Verizon's greatest challenge, and I think they'll be successful in large part on this, is is being able to raise price and also increase value. Now, as you guys, as you know, the way we measure that is through ARPU. And but it's it's more than just you know going from I think there are, are there ARPUs around fifty five dollars. It's more than just going from like fifty five dollars to fifty six uh, because you because you can. The point is they need to be able to convey value with that. They they reported some very very interesting things. Uh, just just to give you context, Verizon has about ninety million customers postpaid um, total customer ninety point three million to be exact. And they reported some really interesting things. They said for new customers coming in, about 90% of them come in on an unlimited plan. And what was really interesting for the fourth quarter is that about half of those, well, 55% of those, so over half, uh, came in on a premium plan. So Verizon's, Verizon's objective, key objective, is to make sure that is to make sure that, and, and this, this applies more than just to wireless, this applies to Fios as well is that new customers who come in, uh, they're maximizing the amount of revenue that the customers give them. And there's a real practical reason for this. And again, none of us know uh, where Verizon stands as far as the C-band auction, but 
many of us are presupposing that they shelled out a few tens of billions of dollars to be able to uh, to be able to purchase that spectrum. So they're going to have to be able to raise ARPU anyway, because they got to justify just the interest on $50 billion is probably another, call it billion three to billion four, somewhere in there per year. Well, you divide that by 90 million customers, um, and you assume that, again, the C-band auction has got to be paid for by your most profitable customers. You're talking about $15 more in operating income per customer per year. And, you know, the only way you're going to get that is through through upgrades. So that that's a pretty interesting summary for Verizon. And I wanted to get your take on this, Jim. For a few years now, we've heard uh, projections from Verizon that they're expecting 5G service revenues within 2021, net revenues following in 2022. Do you see anything out there that uh, suggests to you that they're going to meet those targets, miss those targets, or uh, what do you think there? You know, it, that's a it's a really interesting point. And, and up until the iPhone launch, launches, I think really is a better way to summarize it, you know, because we had we had really a staggered launch of the of the of the iPhone 12. Uh, I would have said no way. What we're seeing, and again, Verizon didn't upgrade a huge amount of their base, but I but you know Verizon is a little more methodical in how they in how they approach 5G. And what I think is going to happen here is you're going to see a lot more customers make that upgrade. And again, just just by nature of weaning off of the iPhone 11 onto the iPhone 12, you're gonna you just they're gonna be operating over a 5G network or at least over DSS. All right, so that's Verizon. Uh, what's your takeaway from AT&T reporting? Yeah, AT&T, and and again, it, it, uh, as you probably know, I've been around this industry almost 30 years. So there there was a time when you could make a pretty interesting comparison and, and say Verizon, AT&T, kind of, you know at least swim in the same lanes. I, I think right now with AT&T, we're seeing a fundamentally different um, series of objectives than, than what you see with, with Verizon. Verizon is more than willing to give you uh, Apple Music. They're more than willing to give you Disney Plus. Uh, they're more than willing to give you Discovery Plus now. And AT&T is, is you know, totally, you know, totally betting on the role of content. And and moving not from content as a part of the bundle, but but actually making money off content production. So they are tackling Netflix. They are tackling Disney uh, with uh, you know with with some with some abandon. So so to me the key, if I if I could summarize, AT and T, the key is not only making the bundling effective, but uh, covering their flank. Right. So. It, it, to summarize it in a phrase, you can't do it in one word, I would say existing base matters. And, you know, for those of us who follow the industry, the, what, what AT&T did, which is subtle, but but very, very knowledgeable or very noticeable to those of us who are, you know, cell phone consumers, is they said, you don't, you don't have to be a new customer to AT&T to get the same promotion as an existing customer. And we've seen this, we, we see this in their advertising and other things, but that's a really, really big move. And it costs a lot of money, uh, near-term money. Uh, over time, and, and AT&T has been making this case on earnings calls, over time, it makes perfect sense to do. Especially since most phones are financed through AT&T over 30 months, not 24. 
So if they can make a case that an existing customer, even with that promo offer, is going to, you know, is going to be profitable within, call it six, seven, eight months, as opposed to, you know, potentially risking losing those customers, it's a it's a really good deal for them to do. Um, and and you saw a, a really substantial decrease in churn. I think probably one of the most underreported stories uh, through all of the earnings release. This uh, this time will be uh, AT&T's what's called postpaid churn reduction. And again, you're working with some big numbers here, right? So AT&T's no, you know, this isn't this isn't a small number. During the last cycle, so that's fourth quarter of uh, 2019. During that last cycle, AT&T's postpaid churn was 1.07 percent monthly, right? So more or less 12 percent a year. Uh, in the fourth quarter of this year, again, with iPhone 12, with uh, promotions targeted towards new customers, AT&T takes this, this kind of approach to cover their cover their flank, cover the existing base, and their postpaid churn dropped to uh, 0.76%. So it's a 31% drop from one selling cycle, one iPhone cycle to another. And you have to presume that most of those customers were iPhone customers. And uh, that's unheard of. I mean that that's a that's a one can say that it was a darn big hammer on a darn small nail, you know, to be able to get that done. They they spent a lot of money to get to that level, but they got there. And I think for AT and T, as we're looking at them, existing base matters is a is a pretty good summary. And then T Mobile, uh, they're going to announce later today uh, the date of our recording, but they did pre-report some of the uh, the figures, and you know, obviously, the the story keeps getting more interesting the more they put the Sprint assets to work. So maybe you can just give us a little color on uh, T Mobile there. So this is the year when. When, when the when the merger was announced between T-Mobile and Sprint, there were pretty lofty synergy expectations set. And they weren't lofty in terms of just totally unachievable. They were just a pretty high, still a pretty high bar. Network, taking down towers. Um, I mean, truly, you know, no longer having Sprint's tower lease presence. And and that's a this is this is a lot of blocking and tackling, and Neville Ray at, at T-Mobile is is a master of doing that, and, it, and he has a really good team assembled to be able to do it. But it's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of tasks to be done. We'll get insight. My prediction is we'll get we'll get a lot of color today, and I think we'll get a lot of color when they do their industry um, analyst conference. And my, and my guess is it'll be probably in the next thirty to forty-five days. We'll get a lot of co- color into into how and when, when is probably the better better point, when the actual synergies will be felt. So typically in a merger, we think about, oh, I got rid of my management team. Okay, they did that. That's, you know, that's kind of table stakes. And of course, they're going to do that. And frankly, you know, there, there, you know, there, there were a lot of people already headed out from the sprint team um, anyway, because of their ties to SoftBank and other things they needed folks to do at SoftBank. Uh, they, they had a few fires to put out last year themselves. But but the but the other point is is could they could they do stuff with stores? And again, you you never want to make light of a of a of a tragedy. I mean we we've been through a hell of a lot with COVID, right? And and but but the but the what they were able to do with stores 
during this actually accelerated synergy capabilities for them. And, and T-Mobile's talked about it a lot. So, so for T-Mobile, really, the, the summary is synergy achievement for this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I've been interested in following T-Mobile's uh, ambitions around not just T-Vision, their television offering, but their, their goal to use that 5G network to provide fixed wireless access. And I guess to, to some extent, same with Verizon. But what do you think about this uh, sort of slow move from the wireless operators into home broadband? Uh, do you think that's meaningful new line of revenue over time? Does it serve any any risk to the Comcast charters of the world? It, uh, what it what it's forcing is if you, and again, I'll cross over into the cable side here, just, just so you kind of, kind of think through it. Um, cable's taken, you know, has, has had a very traditional approach to marketing broadband. Traditionally, the, they had a baseline price, and if you really, really wanted a premium service, they would gladly give it to you. That changed long before COVID, right? It changed three or four years ago to, to being really a, a nice structured tier of services because they saw demand uh, from homes where there were multiple uh, devices in the home and a lot of, large amount of demand that's needed. So those early adopters really started moving people towards more gigabit speeds. Some people say it was Google Fiber, and, and maybe Google Fiber helped in a few communities, but but really it was just that you you saw amongst a very small but growing subset of of homes a, a very large amount of data being used. Enter Netflix, enter um, Hulu, enter you know all these other streaming services, and now it's all gone crazy. Um, what what's most interesting though is when when you get down to it. Uh, if T-Mobile has capacity at a at a less used site, and I'll, I'll use I'll use an example very simply of a site that's sitting by a highway that that sees that that they need for handoffs and they see a lot of traffic needs for about 45 to 45 minutes to an hour a day. This isn't this isn't major, you know, major interstate, but it's just an area where they happen to have it makes perfect sense for them to to try to improve absolute utilization by offering uh, a, a product like that. And that's, that's where T-Mobile started. That's where they started last October. I think, I think that that products um, makes sense to a, to a subset. And I think it's very important as, as the analyst community that we, that we, we break this down. There are base, basic needs amongst people who live in certain sized homes that you know maybe there's two or three people in the home, but there's no there's not a lot of streaming and there's there's basic internet surfing. The the T-Mobile 4G LTE product is going to be great. The the uh, Verizon LTE product is going to be terrific uh, for them. And and it and in most cases they're going to save money. Um, but it, but the performance going to be going to be great. And it, and what you have to understand as well, just kind of think about this is. Wireless networks are tuned, especially T-Mobile's, but Verizon's as well recently, are tuned to give you a little bit more upstream than you see in, um, you know, in a typical DSL, and in some cases, the lower end of cable framework. So it's, to answer your question very simply, does it replace the mass market for cable? No, not today. Now, what T-Mobile does with, 
and and how they start to deploy. And this will be interesting on the earnings call today. It'll be interesting as we follow as as we all follow T-Mobile over the next year, is when they introduce uh, their 5G version of this product, what it does, right? And and it it I still struggle. I I I uh, write a bunch of columns, right? As you, as you know, but, but one of them is fiber always wins. Then I always joke about it until it doesn't, right? But fiber always wins. And it just seems like in the home, unless you get really greedy as a carrier, you're probably going to win with fiber versus a wireless solution. And and I know that 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 people at Verizon take a big debate on that. And 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 you know, there could be some some healthy debate, I think, on the topic, but at the end of the day, generally speaking, the consistency is going to be greater if a well-managed fiber into the home service issues. So if, if they get greedy and start charging $100 and Verizon comes in charging 60 or 50, then okay, you're going to have a you're going to have a different different way of looking at it. So we've talked about a few different aspects of of T-Mobile's business here, but uh you know, think back to February 11th last year when Judge Marrero <laughs> that that key go ahead to the the Sprint merger. So a year in on balance, what do you think? Was that a, a good deal for, for T-Mobile? Yeah, telecom nerds like us actually remember where we were when that when that got announced. And uh, I was actually driving to Atlanta for a meeting with a client. Again, this is in February. We're not in COVID lockdown yet. And uh, all of a sudden, and I'm the, I'm the guy driving. A, one of my colleagues is, is riding, riding shotgun with me. And, and all of a sudden, my phone just starts going berserk. Uh, probably 150 to 200 texts within a you know a couple of minutes, and and it was because while many of us and I was one of those who said, um, and and reading transcripts and talking to folks who were there in the courtroom saying, it really doesn't sound like the states have a super strong case that that if if Judge Marrero were to go anyway, we were all still none, nonetheless we were still all surprised. At the uh, at the language that he used, and basically left left no option open um, for for uh, you know for a lot of for a lot of negotiation. And what was most interesting to me is what's happened since that time. And the question is, has um, has it been a more competitive environment or a less competitive environment? I think I think the one thing that I take away from this is. T-Mobile placed an extensive amount of focus, and we talked about kind of synergy achievement before. One of the early synergy achievement signs for me was when, you know, T-Mobile was able to bring Sprint's postpaid churn down almost instantly. And that's a lot of planning. It's a lot of network planning. So so to Sprint customers, the T-Mobile merger was a, generally a success. To the industry a whole, to, to competition as a whole, um, I think the jury's still out. I think generally speaking, so we've, again, there are different things that are going to cause prices to go up and down, but generally speaking, I think the, the pricing environment, just because you have three carriers versus four is just less intense. Uh, Verizon, assuming the vote, uh, the uh, America mobile track phone purchases is consummated and approved. I, I, I think that's going to remove even more uh, from the from the environment, you still have ultra mobile. You still have cricket. You still have others, but it seems that there's a little bit of metastasizing occurring within both the postpaid and prepaid that lower end uh, right now. And and frankly, a lot of that's driven by the fact that 
there's just not as much competition as there used to be. So it's kind of a mixed blessing, right? I, I, I mixed bag really, as far as the results from a public policy perspective, probably a little less competition might not necessarily be, but probably more competition in other areas. Like we're talking about with fixed wireless. So maybe it, maybe we just kind of shifted where that focus would be. Uh, I think overall from a Sprint T-Mobile perspective, I think T-Mobile's activities in the first, even during COVID in the first 120, 150 days, both with their employees and also with the Sprint customer base was, uh, you know, A plus work. So maybe we could just have a little bit of a high level discussion here around 5G and the value that it can bring, maybe. So is it, from your perspective, a consumer proposition? I, I, if I look back over a year of doing this show, I would say that the kind of, the general answer to that question is no, not really, but maybe in some contexts, but really the value comes from selling 5G into, into businesses, particularly private networks. And just to give a topical example, my uh, colleague James is, is covering an uh, event around private LTE and 5G today. And uh, Vodafone's uh, head of business said that they contemplate a world with a million private networks by the end of the decade. So, I mean, that's ambitious, <laughs> probably not realistic, but I mean, even if you did half of that, this is really, really significant, but just where do you see the value coming from as it relates to selling five? So let's, let's back up. Let's back. Since you and I have both been around the industry for a while and, and many of our, many, many of your listeners to this have been around the industry for a while, let's back up and, and let's back up to where we were, uh, let's say 2009, 2010. So what is it? The HTC Thunderbolt is about to get launched by Verizon. And we're looking at this, uh, you know, relatively large amount of change in speed. And we're seeing these new devices. And some of us have smartphones. Many of us don't. It hasn't really become a phenomena yet. We know about this thing called iTunes. Many of our kids have them. But it really hasn't coalesced. So in 4G, you have both this hardware renaissance that happens and you have this app renaissance that happens. And all of those, and, and 4G, I would maintain, and others I, I think may disagree, but, but that's okay. It's, it's, I would maintain that 4G was the fuel that basically drove both the hardware and the and the app store renaissance, and and again, the ability to do that in a mobile environment, right? Not not taking anything away from what people do over Wi-Fi, which you know is is arguably a big driver of a lot of applications as well. Fast forward to where we are in 5G, and and you ask yourself the same question: Are we at the point where a hardware renaissance is going to occur? Well, we've seen pretty good growth with Apple. You know, we, we've Samsung's earnings were this week. They were very strong. So we're seeing an upgrade cycle, but an upgrade cycle does not a renaissance make, in my opinion. So, so, you, so you're sitting back, and then you're sitting back saying, okay, these applications have to get upgraded for 5G as well. So is it going to happen instantly? No. And I'm, I'm just taking this at the, at the high level. And then, you, and then you sit back and you say, Will there be things that drive uh, this into smartphones? 
I, I always go back to the fact that your smartphone is as big as it's probably going to get. And at six inches or seven inches, the, the maximum amount of bandwidth that I can that I can see and materially see a difference is I'm guessing we're probably up to 1440, right? So we're we're stuck somewhere between 1080p and others, right? But but again, that relates to the pixel density that you have in a device. So it can only get so much clearer. And I don't remember, no, Sean, if you remember back the early days when we when we worked with um, uh, we, when Ben John came out, right? And everybody was like aghast. What do you mean you're slowing down the network? And quite frankly, they made a pretty strong case to say, listen, most phones can't can't see any more clearer than this. And when it when they can, we'll we'll do our best to upgrade it, right? And by the way, people have lived with SD capabilities for a while. So so simply lifting SD and moving it into HD, potentially with or without a premium. We talked about price increases earlier. Potentially moving that—that's, um, you know, that—that's a—that's an interesting use case for 5G, but isn't going to generate a lot of value. Um, where I do see value creating, and again, it, this is this is not mass this is not mass market. Not like people are going to do a student body left and all of a sudden buy it. But I do see in areas where 5G signals can be obtained that lower data users, lower what we call lower tonnage. So let's call that less than 500 gigabytes a month per household. Um, <clears throat> lower tonnage might move to a wireless solution if the prices call it $15, $20 less a month. Um, as, as I've written about in my column, I moved from, from being on, on a cable provider here in, in Lake Norman area to being um, a T-Mobile home internet subscriber. So I actually truly cut the cable cord um, to try out and see if it would work. And and both my wife and I are, are working professionals and we have, you know, we, we also stream a lot. Uh, and we found that, you know, T-Mobile, even over LTE was plenty for us. And uh, we, unfortunately in our neighborhood, we had cable and then we had AT&T DSL because they, never made it up to Lake Norman with fiber. So we didn't have any choice. So we thought we'd try it. And what I would say is there is a use case. T-Mobile's got to articulate that use case if they want it to be big. If they want it to be a fill-in for cell phone capacity, they can do that too and earn a, earn a really nice living. Um, will 5G drive that? Will I, would I write a whole business case around that? Probably not. What I, what I do see, let's shift over to business because I think that's probably a, a more interesting topic. What I do, the, the, the thing I just don't think people are talking about enough in terms of 5G for business is again, is it going to lead to a hardware renaissance in business? Well, yes, but not the way we think about it. Not, not that we'll, we'll all go out and buy 5G smartphones just because of that for business. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to see server capacity move a lot closer to businesses, especially ones who need and who want to be able to use software to, to be more productive. And, and I know that sounds really trite, but, but in thinking about this, and, and I wrote a, wrote a couple of columns on this really, or we write a column basically once a year about this, but it's, I call it about this thing called 5G because two years ago in 2019, 
you couldn't uh, you couldn't go to a meeting without somebody throwing in the 5G. I mean, it was it was what I call the dot com of 2000s and the cloud of 2010. Everything had to be something about 5G. And I kept saying, well, what is it? What 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 what? How will we know that we've been successful? And um, really really spent a lot of time kind of thinking about that. And 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 I think about it in terms of three elements: more software. So to go to the application side. I think 5G is driven on the business side is driven by software. So I say more software doing more things. So what I call more, more millions of instructions per second, right? So doing, doing a lot more activities and the other piece is doing it faster and better. And, and that's, that's a ready recipe for business. And and the one thing that I use, and I'll, I'll use it as an example in talking with groups and others, is to think about, you know, one simple application change, two actually. Let's let's go with two. Two simple application t- changes could could substantially change the tonnage equation for 5G and make it much more palatable. The first one would be if all of Windows, in and of itself, moved completely into the cloud. And we became highly dependent on Windows. Uh, I, I, there is no memory running it. It's all being run off the cloud. We would really, really care about the quality of that network. And and uh, by the way, Windows publicly is developing something like this, right? So that in and of itself, that that could be your game changer right there. But but think of it think of it more along the lines of um, you and I are having this. You know, we're having a conference call or a video call, and Lord knows how many Zooms we've done over the past few weeks uh, and months and year. And you know, frankly, this past year, we really don't gather a lot of intelligence from this, right? Zoom, Zoom actually allows you to record, you know, and, to, and it'll actually do transcripts. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done in that. But nobody really looks in here and really starts to dig into, um, you know. How do we get more information on this? What do we do to make this stronger? What do we do to make this better? So what I call is both the memorializing of the conversation and then building a more intelligent business and more intelligent enterprise as a result of this. There's a lot of software that can be done to do that. And we can call it AI. We can we can apply some buzzword. But the point is, can we make and, – and I'll give you another example, which I think is a really interesting one, Sean, and that is – Many people are using Microsoft Teams plus Slack plus Zoom, whatever else you're going to use, as a means to do customer service, especially when you can't pull out a technician in the broadband world. Right? can't pull out a technician to every time, run out a technician to do things. And, and it's a little kludgy at first, but you get better at it as a, as a service organization. And, and my point is, is after I've solved that customer's issue, is there – is it fed into anything, into a learning system, into how to improve our overall customer operations? And the answer you usually get from most companies is, of course it is. And then you start digging a little deeper and you find out it kind of sits there. It's recorded for training purposes or, or for regulatory compliance purposes. But really, there's not a lot that's done with it. And 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 then the next question, I always ask is, and we, we well, I used to run an MBO for ran it for three years. I used to say, is anybody really tracking 
the types of devices that are causing us all these calls? And if so, are we whitelisting them? And if so, I mean, are we trying to do everything we can to create the better customer experience? And the answer to that, generally speaking, is no. And I think there's a lot of activity. So, so the point is, 5G is likely in business a tool to make the rest of the business more productive. And I think it will be highly dependent on the upgrading of software to take full advantage of the capabilities of 5G. And there isn't a software producer that's out there today that's not thinking about how that world looks different and making those necessary upgrades right now. So it's not today, but it could it could it could definitely be here very, very soon. I think that's a really that's an interesting take, Jim. That's not something that you hear a lot. It, it, drilling down into enterprise software that's really needed to make the benefit that five G creates meaningful to the person working at the organization. So, you know, you mentioned Microsoft there and, and building a cloud native version of Windows. You cover Microsoft as well as the the Fab Five column, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and. I think this kind of recurring theme that you point out is that these five companies are creating trillions of dollars of value. Whereas if you look at the five biggest telecom companies, you know, you're counting that in the the tens of billions. So, you know, this is an expansive, (laughs) but what do you think telecom needs to do to really amp up that value creation and, and drive those numbers up? So, to answer that question, I'll share with you an experience I had when I was at Sprint. I was I was brand new. This is in the mid '90s, back when Sprint uh, and Sprint had a very disciplined strategic planning process. And we had a uh, discussion. This is this is this was as wired. This was as PCS was rolling out. So, so we knew we had a lot of growth prospects ahead of us. We we knew the internet was rolling out, and Sprint was pretty pretty important there. And and we basically said, well. What should a company that has that's holding all of those really nice cards, what should a company like that grow? What what rate should it grow over the next five years? And the and the point is, and the reason why I go to that is there's a there's a mentality amongst larger companies, regardless, but especially in the telecom industry, that uh, growth is limited to some adder to GDP. And and then you then you look at Microsoft's earnings. Then you look at Amazon's earnings and you look at these others and they're like, I, 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 I joked about it with some colleagues the other day. I said, what if Microsoft thought like these GDP plus companies? Because they grew a very large company 17% last year. And I think part of this goes back to um, it, on the traditional telco side. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna take the give the cable guys a pass here because they've done a pretty pretty darn good job growing uh, triple play over the previous decade and then and then really growing broadband right now. But but in a traditional telco environment, it's much more of a zero sum game, and and the telco guys got to lose that zero sum thinking. It's just it's really really destroying a value right now. And and uh, by the way, just so you know, out of that study, we came back and said the company should grow at 11 to 13 percent a year. We think it could actually grow more, 
but we've never seen anybody of our size grow that fast. And and because of if you count Sprint PCS as a wholly owned entity as Sprint, you kind of see just how fast a company like that could grow. And it, it was because you because you have the right um, assets to be able to grow. And uh, I think that I, and I'll I'll put cable back into this. I think the I think the thought is we'll grow faster if we just have the whole value chain. And I really struggle with that because, because the second issue I think that, that is that the telco industry faces is they have not, by the way, the fab five are, are, are subject to this, but they seem to have gotten over this pretty quickly is you, you have issues related to funding, you know, the next iteration of wonder woman. I mean, that's one thing that ends up on the CFO's desk. And then you have, you're now weighing that against whether you upgrade Nevada, Missouri, which is an AT&T property. I'm like, okay, that's going to be really, that's going to be a, that's a, that's a management breadth that's quite a lot larger than, than you would see even at a company uh, like Microsoft, right? I mean, who, who has everything, right? I posted that in, in the column last week. You have Xbox growing at 40%. You have Azure Cloud growing at 50%. Even the stuff that's not growing is still growing faster than GDP, um, Surface computers and other things like that. But but the point is 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 they 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 miss they 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 are missing an understanding of how to grow, and they're missing an under they're 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 not understanding what it takes if they decide to grow across a broader array of businesses how to manage this. And as a result, you get what you get, right? Which again, take COVID out, look at a company like Comcast and look at their growth. Now compare that growth equation to AT&T. And I think you see why Comcast added value last year and why AT&T lost a quarter of their value last year. One of my favorite of your headlines from 2020 uh, had to do with Microsoft. You posed the question, is, is Microsoft the new Ericsson? And this was uh, in the aftermath of the affirmed and, and meta switch acquisitions that they made. And, um, you know, I took uh, the, the thought that you laid out so eloquently in that, that column and, and I brought it to Microsoft and interviewed one of their uh, SVPs and essentially posed that question to him. And I got the article called up here and he told me that the the point of the acquisitions was to quote bring in telco dna we're not trying to recreate a vertically integrated stack so i appreciate his comment and uh it's uh i think that's probably correct they need to develop some domain expertise to append to their existing expertise but i still do see this possibility as it relates to enterprise 5G and the larger commoditization of the hardware liberalization of spectrum access and just the, the finite nature of the market that uh, there's gonna be situations where Microsoft wins out over a carrier. Any thoughts on that? But, but the, the, yeah, the, the advantage of having $100 billion in the bank is that you can spend $2 billion or whatever they spent to buy a firm to Metaswitch, right? I go back to it this way. And, I, and, and this is the most interesting just I, I always go, I always try to come back to it, not from the companies themselves, but their customers. If you're a CIO and you have a good relationship with Microsoft, 
you've lived through, you know, the evolution of teams and all these other things and, and whether Skype was actually going to be enterprise quality or not. And, you know, they, they turned out doing it pretty well, uh, very well, actually. And especially during this COVID world, um, teams has flourished. And you sit back and you say, do I want to go buy who, who would I rather go have a conversation about the future with? Do I want to have a, I'm a CIO, right? So who do I rather have a conversation about the future with? Would I rather have a conversation with my Verizon rep who's going to try to sell me or, or AT&T rep who's going to try to sell me more handsets? Or do I want to have a conversation with Amazon AWS or Microsoft who's going to talk to me about the the increasing role and and let's pull CenturyLink into that right because they're doing some pretty good things right now too and they had some good announcements this week. Lumen, you yeah. know, Lumen. Sorry, I can't call you yeah, Lumen. Excuse me, Lumen uh, had a great announcement. A couple of good announcements this week. The the more it just it just where are their customers going to be? A CIO is going to look at this and say I can have a few conversations. I don't have to just have one. But who would I rather have the conversation with first? And I think that's where, and by the way, the first person they had a conversation with shapes that RFP and that RFP is going to be tilted one way or the other. When you have $100 billion, it's worth it's worth investing in a firm to meta switch to shape that RFP. And um, the products and services that Microsoft is developing and all of the announcements that they've had through the last year about how they're going to use Affirmed and Metaswitch are extremely, if I were if I were Ericsson and Nokia, I would be extremely concerned. So we're taping this episode a uh, week before the Super Bowl and it's gonna come out uh, second week of, uh, third week of February, excuse me. So maybe you can make some predictions. What are you expecting out of your Chiefs and this uh, generational battle between Brady and Mahomes? So for those of you who read my column, I always, uh, at least from September through, uh, fortunately, this time it's February, I always end it with go Chiefs. I have been a, the entire time I lived in Kansas City, which was 1994 through 2011, the Chiefs never won a playoff game, which is kind of sad. We made the playoffs a lot of years. We never won the game. So it took me moving to Dallas and later on to Charlotte to be able to, for them to win. But I, I think this is going to be a squeaker. I think the Chiefs win it in a squeaker. Uh, all the, the monkeys off their back as far as winning the Super Bowl, they, they don't have to talk about the Len Dawson years anymore. They can talk about the Pat Mahomes and, and Andy Reid years. And uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm – I'm saying Chiefs by two. I'm going to say 35 to 33. Uh, we could have some drama. It will be the most enjoyable Super Bowl to watch that we've probably seen in the last decade. That's my prediction. Well, Jim, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to have this uh, conversation with me and, and give your point of view to our audience. And just a reminder, follow Jim's work at uh, sundaybrief.com and we syndicate his column Mondays on RCR and that goes out in the newsletter. But uh, Jim, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time to explore this question. Will 5G change the world? Thank you, Sean. Will 5G Change the World is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia
show today was produced and edited by me, Sean Kenny. Thanks for listening.